Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, our, our text this morning begins in verse 57 and extends to verse 62, the end of the chapter. As we are continuing with this theme of reset, becoming the church culture that Jesus wants us to be, um, we are made to turn uh, towards uh, the end of the series. Uh, after this week, we'll only have uh, two more times. Uh, and then on September 18th, uh, Tom Gibbs, the president of Covenant Seminary, will be with us. And then we'll return back to the Gospel of John. But, but here this morning, we come to this place uh, in order to take up the, the theme of what I, I hope will be central to our church's culture. And candidly, has not been. Uh, that, that commitment not consuming, is how we engage with Jesus and each other. As you'll see, these words are very bracing here at the end of, of Luke chapter 9. Uh, we need ears to hear what Jesus has for us, that we might be all in with him and with one another. And so let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come as your people this morning desiring to hear from you indeed, to hear the word of the Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our, our eyes of faith and open our hearts this morning, that we might receive the, this word of God and might be doers of it, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and works ba looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So one of my earliest memories uh, from my ministry here at IPC uh, occurred at the first Easter Eve concert I went to in, in 2017. I was, we were at the Levitt Shell, or what used to be called the Levitt Shell, and I was talking to a guy who told me his name, and then he followed that with, I serve in the children's church every six weeks or so. To which I enthusiastically said, well, that's great. It is so glad that you are serving there. But then he followed it up by saying, well, yeah, my family left IPC to, to worship at another church in the area several years ago, but I still come over to serve in children's church faithfully. I have to admit, I, I didn't know what to say after that. Uh, the conversation kind of petered out because honestly, it was just, it's just so weird. Except as I've come to find out, it really wasn't that weird for us as a church here at IPC. 
We have historically had all sorts of people who participate in and even lead ministries who aren't regular attenders in worship services here at IPC. We've historically had church members who, who insist on staying on the membership roles, even though they refuse to attend worship services here. We've had church members who only come on Wednesday nights, who only come for Sunday school, who will only come to a women's Bible study. We've had officers who, who take the vows we're going to hear here in a minute and then only show up to worship services once every four or five or six weeks. What's that all about? Isn't that weird? Well, I'd suggest that, that what that is is a consumer mindset. It works like this. The, the church offers a range of services that I might utilize as I may or may not choose. And when I join and, and maybe give a little money, well, then I can access the range of services or not. And if I don't like what's being offered or how it's being offered, I'll register my complaints. And if I'm not heard, I'll take my business elsewhere. It's not surprising that we think like this. Several years ago now, the theologian James K.A. Smith made the point in his book, Desiring the Kingdom, that, that our culture has certain liturgies that form us, that shape us, that, that disciple us, if you will, into a way of being. And when he wrote the book, he suggested that the most powerful of these cultural liturgies was the shopping mall. Perhaps today we might say it's Amazon. But in the liturgy of the shopping mall, we're formed in the expectation of top-notch service, a range of products that stir our desires, ease of purchase, or at least a willingness to let us just say, hey, I'm just looking. And in the end, very little commitment. And sadly, this liturgy of consumption, the liturgy of the shopping mall, if you will, has shaped us so profoundly that this is how we view all sorts of things, whether relationships or family or work, but especially the church. I hope you've noticed when we read Luke 9 together, the passage we read, that, that, that what we find here in what Jesus is saying to these three anonymous would-be disciples is that Jesus demands a completely different level of engagement. The call to discipleship, the call to follow after Jesus, is a call of total commitment to him. But friends, if, it's a, if the call to discipleship is a call to total commitment to Jesus, then, then surely it's also a call to commit to Jesus' bride, the church. After all, that commitment is the commitment that, that most of you have made when you joined this place in the fourth membership vow. Do you promise to support the church and its worship and work to the best of your ability? Not to what's left over, not to, not to when you feel like it, but, but do you promise to support the church and its worship and work to the best of your ability? Because that's the way we demonstrate our commitment to Jesus and his bride. And, and this is what these three short encounters here at the end of Luke 9, it's, what it's getting at. 
I mean, already, if we had taken the time to read Luke chapter 9 in its entirety, we would have come across a very bracing word about Jesus' demand for total discipleship or total commitment and discipleship. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 25, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? Now we know those verses, but what what does it look like in real time to deny oneself, take up our cross, and follow Jesus? To be willing to forsake our life if necessary in order to gain him. How does, this, how does this kind of commitment to Jesus and his people, even if it leads to our own dying, how does this play out? Well, it plays out first with our commitment to Jesus as more significant than our property. The first encounter that Jesus has in the passage we read is with a person who volunteers for discipleship. We don't know who this person is. In fact, all three of these encounters, the individuals remain anonymous. And in the first instance, we're not really sure if the person is a man or a woman who is volunteering. However, as Jesus is going along the way, what does the individual say? You see it in verse 57. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. It's quite a claim. If you read on in Luke's gospel, you'll actually run across a version of that claim again. Do you remember when? It's in Luke chapter 22, right before he betrays Jesus. Peter will say, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. It's a claim that's easier made than acted upon. But in Luke chapter 9, here in what we read, it is made. So we have to ask the question, what is this person's angle? What is the individual really saying? What is he or she expecting? What, what, are, they, what are they desiring? Well, we can tell from Jesus' answer, I think. The individual was not expecting to share in Jesus' suffering, but to share in Jesus' sustenance, his food and his lodging. He was not expecting to share in Jesus' cross, But he was expecting to share in Jesus' crown. He wasn't expecting to follow Jesus on the way to Calvary. He was expecting to follow Jesus on the way to glory. But what does Jesus say? You see it in your Bibles, verse 58. He says, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, Jesus, the Son of Man the one to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given, he doesn't have property, doesn't have a portfolio to share with his disciples. Following Jesus doesn't lead to those kind of benefits. And to think otherwise is to adopt a consumer's mindset to following Jesus, that there's a kind of quid pro quo, a a this for that. If I follow Jesus, then I'll realize some financial benefit. He'll provide for me. He'll care for me with with property and prosperity. Friends, that's not why we follow Jesus. And that's not why we join a church. 
Let's, let's put it this way. If your loyalties to Jesus and his church are shaped more by business partnerships that you have with other church members than loyalty to Jesus and the vows that you make here, then you may have put property over Jesus. And if you're willing to leave a church, not from any doctrinal error, not from any error of, of teaching from this pulpit, whether from me or somebody else, but, but because your financial well-being may be threatened if you don't go, then you may have put property over Jesus. Friends, our commitment to Jesus, not to any financial benefits that we may gain from following him, that, that's what he demands of us. That's what he's calling us to. That's what it looks like to deny yourself, take up the cross and follow him. As the old hymn has it, in following Jesus, we let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. But Jesus calls us to follow him in such a way that not only would our commitment be Jesus over property, but also that our commitment would be Jesus over family. In the second encounter, Jesus is in fact the one that's issuing the call to discipleship. You see it in verse 59. To another he said, follow me. He, here's the king of heaven and earth commanding someone to follow him. And what was the response? You see it there in the rest of 59. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now on the surface, this seems like a totally legitimate request. It would just be a week or so of mourning and then the burial and then this man could follow Jesus in the way of discipleship. After all, the godly Jews of the day, they, they viewed the proper burial of the dead as, as among the statutes and laws that Moses gave in the Torah. So not to bury a, a family member in a timely fashion, not to mourn them, would not only be a, a violation of family ties and love, but it would also be a violation of God's own law. Surely, Jesus would not be so cruel as to deny the proper mourning of the dead. But, but that's not really what's going on here. As the same excuse a little bit later in Luke's gospel in Luke 14 makes clear, there is no dead body here. It's not even clear that anyone's in danger of dying at all. Rather, the, the individual was using the, his loyalty to his family as an excuse not to follow Jesus. And so when Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God, he's clearly warning this person that he or she was in danger of choosing family over Jesus. Using the excuse that at some point my loved one may die, and I need to be here to bury him, choosing their family over Jesus. Friends, we, we can do the same thing. And in fact, we do the same thing over and over again. We choose youth sports on Sunday over corporate worship. We choose beach trips and college football games and ski trips over corporate worship. We choose late nights and regular weekends at the office rather than corporate worship so that we can provide for our families. And as our kids get older, we drop them off at youth group and at Sunday school, but, but we don't attend the worship services ourselves or with them. 
And when they go off to college, we stop attending corporate worship services ourselves, or we only come when it's convenient and we have nothing else to, go, to do. But this is a hard truth. But if you want to understand why millennials and, and Generation Z, those who were born after 1999, have left the churches that they've grown up in, all you need to know is that their parents showed them all along that it wasn't a priority. We picked family over Jesus. But Jesus is calling us to something different. He's calling us to something much harder and yet much better. Jesus is calling us to commit to him, to put all of our loves in proper order so that Jesus is the one who has our whole soul commitment, the one to whom we, we hear the call, follow me. And no matter the cost, even if we must lose things that we well love, we will follow Jesus no matter what. Don't you see that Jesus is calling us not to be consumers, seeking benefit for ourselves, but calling us to choose Jesus over property, over family, and over our work. In the final encounter, like the first, you have an individual who is stepping forward and volunteering for discipleship. But, but look at what he says in verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. What's actually sitting in the background of, of that attempt to volunteer is a scene from 1 Kings chapter 19, where Elijah calls Elisha to follow him into prophetic ministry. Elisha, if you read that chapter at the end, Elisha is plowing a field with 12 oxen and a yoke that encompasses them all. Elijah walks by and throws his cloak upon him, a sign that he is placing his call upon Elisha. And what happens next? It's 1 Kings 19 verse 20. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. Elijah essentially allows this to happen, and Elisha takes the implements of his work, the 12 oxen and the yoke, and he sacrifices them, and he gives it all to his family, sacrifices his work in order to follow Elijah. That's, that's what's in the background here. But Jesus isn't Elijah. He demands wholehearted, immediate, complete commitment, even if it interferes with our work. What does Jesus say in verse 62? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here, putting our hand to the plow is working for Jesus. But if we look back to the old way of life, to the old plowing and working, Jesus says we're not fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is calling us to commit to him and to, and to choose him over our work and our family and our property. That, that's how he calls us to engage with himself. But, but friends, if, if, if we're to engage with Jesus in this way, well, surely that means we should have a similar level of commitment to each other, to this place especially where we meet with him. One of the disturbing trends that we have in our congregation 
is the number of members who show up to all sorts of things, including Sunday school, but refuse to come to, to corporate worship. And it may be that they, they don't like the preacher, or they don't like the music, or they don't like the liturgy, or the, whatever it is. But here's the thing. When you don't come to corporate worship, you aren't rejecting the preacher, or the music, or the liturgy. You're actually rejecting Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who meets with us by his spirit in corporate worship. In his word, he peculiarly promises to meet with us because he's our covenant God who comes on the Lord's day in corporate worship to dwell with his people. And so Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Jesus is the one in the midst of us actually singing our songs back to the triune God. Romans chapter 8 tells us that he is actually the one by his spirit that is helping us to pray and to intercede. And he's the one who's receiving our prayers. He tells us that he's the one who's declaring his word to us. He's the one who's claiming our children in baptism. He's the one who's the host at the meal in a way that's different from anything else we do as a church. Jesus promises to be with us and is with us in corporate worship on the Lord's day. And in fact, Jesus is here this morning and he's calling to you to evaluate, to examine yourself and to say, could it be that I've, I've been prioritizing other things over Jesus? Could it be that I've not demonstrated the kind of whole-souled commitment that the denying myself and taking up my cross to follow Jesus demands? Could it be that this morning, Jesus is calling you to be all in, to push all of your chips in, in order to follow him? If you follow much in the way of sports over the last many years, and you might remember the 2011 New York Giants, a football team that really struggled for most of the season. About 11 games in, they were in danger of, of missing the playoffs. Uh, the team chaplain had a, a service right before game number 12, and he, he invited a, a young man, a guy named Jean-Paul Gonzalez, to come and speak to the team. He, he was a teacher at a local high school, Union City High School, which was right near where I grew up in Westfield, New Jersey. But he also had a ministry uh, called 4-1 Ministry. And so he was ministering to at-risk youth as well as being a high school teacher. And John Paul came to speak to the team, and he was determined to try to encourage them to, to commit themselves to Christ. He, he took the Christmas story since they were in, in December and they were coming near to Christmas. And he talked about how Joseph and Mary had made a total commitment to the word of God that had come through the angel, both to Mary and to Joseph separately, and were willing to risk everything, leaving Nazareth to go to Bethlehem in fulfillment of the prophecies. He said in the midst of that, he said, sometimes we've got to step up and we've got to be all in. You have to be willing to say, I'm going to be all in and risk and bet everything on Jesus. And in order to help them kind of visualize the, the commitment that Jesus was asking them for, he gave all of the players a, a poker chip, similar to this poker chip I'm holding. Uh, on one side, he encouraged them to either write their name or, or their jersey number. And then on the other side, to write on that poker chip that one thing that was keeping them from a wholehearted, whole-souled commitment to Jesus 
And the players did so, and then afterwards they took their chips and they pushed them all into the center of the room, telling them they, they were going to be all in for Jesus. They were going to put everything in. Well, what ended up happening was not only the spiritual benefit to those players, but they started winning. In fact, they won the rest of the games of the regular season. They made the playoffs. They made a run to the Super Bowl. And as you might remember, in January, late January, early February 2012, they beat the New England Patriots and won the Super Bowl. But the point here is simply the commitment. Jesus is here asking you, what's the one thing that's keeping you from a whole soul commitment, a whole souled engagement with Jesus and each other? Could it be that Jesus is calling you to push your chips in, to be all in, to demonstrate that commitment both in in your day-to-day life, but also in the way that you engage with one another here at IPC. How would our church culture be different if we collectively said, I'm going to be all in, all in with Jesus Christ, all in with these people, all in in the promises that I've made, all in for God's glory. How would we be different? Let's pray together. Almighty God, here in a moment, uh, we will be seeing those who are going to be taking promises that they're going to be all in when it comes to serving your people. And then we'll close by asking you to have your own way with us, that you are the potter and we are the clay. Lord, we do desire as a people to be engaged with you and one another in the way that you call us to do. Stir our hearts, Lord. Stir our affections. Stir our imaginations on what it would be like for us as a people to be completely committed to you and to each other. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.